All right, we got new notes. I think Brother Kelly's getting them out to us. Lesson number two. While he's doing that, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter number six. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter number six. Lesson two, making homework, and it's going to be on, uh, see if I can get that, teaching eternal truths for children for today's challenges, teaching eternal truths. All right, he's passing them out. So if you want, you're in Deuteronomy, <clears throat> we'll extra correct today, and we'll read verse number 1 to 8, and we'll refer to some of the verses as we go on to our lesson this morning. So Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verses 1 to 8, just follow along, I'll read it to you. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land, where do you go to possess it? Anybody that's available, could you give me a cup of water, please? Anybody that's available? Thank you. Verse number two. <clears throat> that thou mayest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, that thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Verse three. Hear, therefore, O Israel... And observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers had promised thee, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Verse number four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee these day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And let me read you verse 9. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. Let's pray. Lord, we come and are asking for your guidance and your help, Holy Ghost, as you are the ultimate teacher. You have been given to us in this dispensation, Lord, of grace in the church. As you are living inside each and every believer, Lord, I pray that you would work, and I know you already have worked. Lord, help me as I am the mere human tool, Lord, that... Uh, it's going to teach, Lord, these principles and thoughts. Lord, some of these are very, very familiar to some of us, but to some of us, maybe very, very new. And, Lord, I pray uh, for those that maybe are familiar and those that are new, I pray that we'll get an understanding heart. And, Lord, I pray that we would have uh, power that we could uh, live this uh, in our lives and not just theorize it about on our head. Lord, bless us again, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I encourage you, each truth you hear from the scripture as God challenges you and convicts you, 
Let us not leave it in our heads. For knowing it is not the same as doing it. We must make it to action. It has to come and be a part of our life. Jesus, uh, in parables of uh, who is a wise man, we looked at in Matthew 7, I believe it is, uh, and in, in a portion of Luke, I think it's Luke 6, I might be mistaken, those chapters, but it's talking about a wise man building his house, all right? And we're talking about building here, and if you're building a life, if God so choose that in part of your life you will be married, you will have a family, or you will be a part of a home. Everybody here is a part of a home. Whether you're the dad or the mom, you are part of the home. And uh, in part of building our life, building a home has become a part of it. And so he said that it's not knowing the truth, it's doing the truth that makes you wise. All right? It's doing the truth that makes you wise. You could have the fanciest snowblower you can have in your garage, but if you don't choose to start it and use it, it's no good, as if you didn't have a snowblower, right? So a lot of us store knowledge because we're in a good church that you, we have been blessed for 40 years to have a pastor that's not only a preacher but a teacher of the word and has written many booklets. But the question I ask now for a group of people such as us, when is it going to be a part of our life? When is it going to be a part of our everyday life? That's the challenge. A lot of times, <clears throat> we, we fall into this trap. I know it in my head, and we feel like, because we know it in our head, we feel like we're doing it. No. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Oh, I know that's true. All right, great. How about in your life? Are you doing what I'm saying? Right? Have you been doing what have you been taught? And I understand we might not agree with everything that's said and done, because we have personal Christian liberty. but uh, And some of these things here falls into that, raising children and what you're going to do and what you're going to allow in Romans 14. But there's some very, 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 very non-arguable points of Scripture. It's very clear that you as a parent have a responsibility to teach your children. You can't argue that one. You can't argue that one. And the Bible teaches us that. And I know... Uh, that children, as much as you might say, well, I've done everything I could as a parent, children still have to make choices. And so mind that too. And don't beat yourself too much, but be very honest with yourself. And I like some of the lesson we're going to hear today is there's no reason to go back and fast mistakes. There's nothing you can do about them. Except to apologize if you have to. And uh, admit that you made mistakes. And then move on and try not to make any more at this point in your life. Even as grandparents. I don't know what you feel like raising your children was to you. Uh, that's something you have to judge for yourself. And uh, if you made some mistakes, well, don't continue that as a grandparent. If you're going to have grandchildren, don't continue that. And be, be very aware and then move on. Move on. Okay? Paul was very clear to us. When he got saved, he didn't look in the past. He knows he could not do anything about the past. There's no way he could bring back people's lives that he murdered and killed and persecuted. 
But you needed the best he could to go forward and started many churches. All right? He tried to do his best to move on. All right? Don't uh, live in the past. Move on and don't make mistakes as you continue your Christian life. Children have a way of gleaning life's lesson from their experiences, just like many of us. For instance, notice some of the words of wisdom here. I'm going to read you some things from little kids. Uh, here's Patrick. He's age 10. Never trust a dog to watch your food. Okay? When your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. That's Matthew Michael. He's 14. It's also Michael, now with his mom. Never tell your mom her diet's not working. And this is Randy. Randy, nine years old. Stay away from prunes. Stay away from prunes, right? Never allow your three-year-old brother in the same room as your school assignment. That's Tracy, number 14. I didn't pick this. Happened to be my dad and my mom. Maybe when you guys were young, you guys part of this? Uh, oh, and my brother is the next one, Andrew. Right? Puppies still have bad breath even after eating a Tic Tac. That's Andrew at nine. Never hold a dust buster and a cat at the same time. That's, uh, I would say, Yo-Yo. He, he's nine. You can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. All right, armor, uh, nine. If you want a kitten, start by, out by asking for a horse. That's some wisdom, Naomi, 15. Felt markers are not good to use as lipsticks. That's Lauren, nine. Don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. Joel, Joel, 10 years old. And here, never try to baptize a cat. All right? Eileen, verse number 8. So, uh, verse number 8. Yeah. What Bible are you reading, right? Eileen, 8 years old. Uh, they might learn experiences in life like that, but they don't tend to s- learn spiritual truths in the same way. They don't. They're, they must need a teacher. They need a mom and a dad who will instill the eternal truths of God into their impressionable minds and hearts and then help them make the connection between Bible truths and life's questions. Because when do you start teaching them? Very little. When they're very little, they can't even speak yet. You're teaching them truths. You don't want to wait too long because you're already behind the eight ball with kids because they're born with a sin nature. They're already born with a sin nature. So when you get them, they're already wicked. All right? So remember that as you're raising your children, uh, you're already behind. So when you get them, teach them. Some people read the Bible when they're pregnant, with their their wife's pregnant. They read the Bible together. And uh, some believe that kids will be familiarized with your voice. I'm not sure if a baby in the womb can understand everything that you're saying. Although the funny thing I would say this in personal experience, that our first baby, Abigail, 
I make, I make funny noises at home. I make very, very unique noises at home that uh, only my family would understand if I made them. And there's a little thing that I used to do when my wife and I would be laying at night, and I would do it on the tummy of, uh, well, she had Abigail. And kid you not, <clears throat> both of us laughed. The very first noise she made when she was born was that noise. <laughs> so I don't know if I entirely believe what they say. There's some scientific proof to that, but I had some experience that that is the case. And she cried that way for a while until she realized maybe I shouldn't be doing that, you know. So we live in an increasingly God-rejecting culture. And across every sector of our society, including education, entertainment, and every form of media, there are people eager to influence the hearts and minds of children with ungodly philosophies and belief systems. I think we won't disagree to that, all right, in our society. Uh, we need to learn to teach them the truth. We must be proactive in stealing biblical values and eternal truths into the hearts of our children. It has to be something we do intentionally, and we have to do it ahead, not behind, all right? Don't wait until problems arise. Prevent them by instilling truths already before it even comes, all right? Uh, and the primary responsibility that uh, teaching children that it falls into is not the church. I think that's clear for all of us. We support parents in their endeavor to teach their children the Bible, but we are not the primary source of teaching that your children should be getting. And we say that even as an adult, right? Who's primarily responsible to feed yourself? It's part of the responsibility of a pastor to feed his flock. But there's also a responsibility to individual Christian that you should feed yourself, right? What did God say? That his word is what? More ne- is ne- more necessary. It's a lot more important than our daily bread or our food that we eat. And there's a responsibility to a Christian to feed themselves, along with the feeding that he gets from a pastor. And so is the church. The church is just supplementary. What you should have as a parent doing uh, the, the, the very, very, very important part of daily influencing your children and exposing them to biblical truths. Your responsibility, mom and dad, you're responsible. God has entrusted that to you, parents. Okay, Ephesians 6, 4, I think it's in your notes, Ephesians 6, 4. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and in contacts that is talking to parents. Parents are the one responsible. Now let's look at some of the verses more thoroughly here in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Let's look at verse number 4 to verse number 7 before we get on our first point this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. You know, the neat thing about that is it is a a statement of saying there's one Lord. That means there has to be, there has to be one words that we have to follow. There has to be one statute 
and one commandment and one way of doing things. There has to be in that. In America that we live, we are blessed with many different ways. And one of the ways we're blessed is variety. There's so much variety in our country. That same chair you're sitting on, you can have that in a hundred colors. In fact, the blue that you want could be in a hundred different shades. And that sometimes has detriment in our being independently nurtured as Americans, that we can feel like we have many choices. But the verse says here, so I want to highlight that for you, because I talk a lot about uh, Romans 14, because it's applicable, especially to us Americans, because we're grown to be able to have liberty. But liberty is not whatever you want to do, because you want to do it, do it. We know this, that if some of your liberty that you feel you have is infringing on other people's liberty, then I don't think it's liberty anymore on your side. Right? If I feel like, well, I just want to kill people. There has to be a boundary where your liberty is infringing on my liberty. Correct? Sometimes we fall for that. We have problems with that in this culture. That we grow our children to be what they Want to be. That's what we're teaching them. You can be whatever you want to be. As long as you believe in it. Doesn't matter what people say. Oh, it does. Because you have to share this America with other people. Well, let's teach them that. Let's teach them to be humble. Let's teach them that it's not about us. But about other people. And so we have problems with Romans 14. We have problems when the Bible says, uh, <coughs> learn <clears throat> that you're not going to get your way, even in the church house. Even with Christians that should know better, they're going to defraud you. And God says, be defrauded. That's what we have a hard time with. I know we have rights. Good. You have the right to do right. That's what the right God gives you, the liberty to exercise righteousness. And so we have to learn to teach our children very early in life. It's not about them. And guess what happens? They don't get what they want. You can't teach a person to, you're not, it's not going to be about you without teaching them. They don't get what they want every time they want something. Oh, my. Exactly the problem. Does God give you everything you want? Is he mean by not doing so? What do you expect then for us as parents taking the place of God? Not taking the place of God, we can't ever replace God. But in the sense of we are the authority, the first authority, the idea of authority that God established in Romans chapter number 13, we are the first representation of that to children as we raise them for the Lord before they ever get a boss. Before they ever met the government, before they have to get anything to do with those, we are the first representation of what authority is in their mind. Before they go to Sunday school, before they even go to church, before they go to school, they're going to meet us. And we have to represent God's authority in their lives. And so at times, you have to tell your children, no matter how cute they are, no, you're not going to have that. Now, you can't be mean on the other side of it where you don't ever give them anything they want. God is not that way either. 
God gives us some things because he loves us. Remember I said that? There's some things that are just simply earned. And you have to work for it. But there's some things that are simply a gift. If I have to earn my every breath, I would dead. And praise the Lord, God just lets me live. And that's a gift. And so we have to learn as parents to decipher those two things. There's some things that the kids have to earn eventually. And there's some things it's just simply a gift all their life. Your love should be a gift to them all their life. It should be a gift that you give to them. Now, maybe your favor and your pleasure might not be so. They might have to earn those things. But loving them must be a gift that you give to them whether they deserve it or they don't. Look at the verse number 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. With all thy soul, this is that one Lord we're talking about. Not many ways to love God, all right? The Bible tells us exactly how to do it here. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words, now whatever you feel like taking, but these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine heart. By the way, memorizing is the start of it. Memorizing is the start of it. But that is an awkward action of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that the truth of God is so in your heart that you just can't, you just don't quote it. That's not enough. It's so in your heart, it penetrates the way you think. And it challenges your decisions. And it has a place in the table, per se, when decision-making is happening in your personal life. The word of God has to be in so much in the center of you, in the center of your thinking, in the center of your motives, in the center of your decision, that it has a place and it has influence in your life. That's what it talks about when you hide it in your heart. Not just memorize it. Memorizing is the start of that. Get a lot of memorizing verses to start. But at the same time, it has to be deeper than memorizing it. It has to be impactful. It has to be influential. It has to be working in your heart that when a situation come upon you, that verse is talking to you internally, saying, don't, because you know what God says right here. Don't participate in that, because God says right here. All right? Now, you're detrimental if you don't memorize anything. It'll be harder for you to have it in your heart. But memorizing is just a start, and you should start memorizing. And verse number 6, In these words I command thee, they shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Your goal is to teach your children truth. Not just for the outward and temporary compliance. We talked about different parenthood, remember? The author thought, (laughs) I'm not even going to pretend to say the neglectful, the permissive. Remember those different uh, tools that we used last week? Not just for outward and temporary compliance. 
There's a type of parenthood which I can't pronounce. You know what I'm talking about. Authoritarian. I think I tried. I have to try. So I did. You got the, you got the, you got the, you got the general idea. And they have high in authority, but low in love, right? You can beat somebody to submission in your home by being so strong about stuff. But the challenge is you're not beating them with those things. You're trying to plant things in their heart so that when they're out of your home, they have it. Because if you beat them outwardly and you're trying to beat them outwardly with it, it is not going to be a transformation. They might conform to however you're beating them. I could probably get this beautiful flower and shove it down inside that pot. But by doing that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy it. And eventually, when it rises out of that beating, and that rule, it's not going to look as it looks right now. It's going to be a little bit mangled and destroyed. And we have people that grew up in Christian home that I feel like was beat into submission to being a good Christian. I don't want to beat my kids into being a good Christian. I want to implant to them principles and truths of the word of God because the word of God is a seed. I want to plant that seed so that it germinates, so that it becomes something that will grow in them. So let me finish this thought. Your goal is to teach your children truth, not just for outward and temporary compliance, but for the heart level change. You want to teach them to have a real and personal relationship with God and to apply his truth across all areas. There's, some, there's another thing that I, that I get upset at and something that I don't appreciate. is when we give the gospel, I am very careful that the people I'm talking to is not making the decision because I'm coercing them to pray a prayer. I am very careful with that. I don't do it. <clears throat> I don't do it. Uh, just so that they pray the prayer with me. I don't want you getting saved because I want you to get saved. I want you to get saved because you realize you need to get saved. And there is some techniques that have been taught in our Christian uh, culture that is almost, almost to the point where you don't let the other person talk. Why? How in the world are you going to know what's in their heart if you don't hear it from them? Do you read their heart? Let's just dupe them almost into praying. Why? What's the goal of that? Can I say very practically maybe the goal of that is so we can say we led somebody to the Lord? That is so shallow Christianity. Very shallow. Very, very, very immature Christianity. And you're making people twofold child of hell because you got them to trust a prayer, but there's no heart change. I've been putting my prayer request that my son gets saved, Philip. You've seen it several times now on the prayer list. Can I coerce him to pray? Absolutely. I can make that kid do whatever I want right now. And he can conform. I can beat the gospel into that kid. That kid would pray if I say, you just have to pray. Pray right now. That kid would do it. But I don't want that. I want it from the heart. And any instruction you're going to give to them, you have to give them opportunity 
to talk to you. And parents, it is not disrespectful. If your kid voicing out to you what's happening in their heart, and you have to be the big person in the group, they're not disrespecting if they disagree with you. Where is that in Scripture? God says, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. I'll teach you about sin, and though your sin be as scarlet, they shall be white as whole, as snow. And so, be very careful as you're raising your children, I'm preaching to myself this, is that I have to give my children opportunity to express their deepest heartfelt mind. I have to be able to know what's going on in their heart. I can't read their minds. I could be very smart and calculate, okay, because I know the way they've been acting, this could result because this is probably going to be the way they're going to do it. And I could do that. I could uh, be wise and, and, and pay attention that way. Good. That's great that you're paying attention to your children that way. But if you approach them and you're not welcoming, they don't feel you're welcoming. They feel you're interrogating. They feel like, oh, I'm going to get hammered and killed. How would you react in a situation when you're coming into that room and you know they're not going to listen to what you're thinking and you might not be the best way to express yourself? I understand, and that comes across disrespectful because they don't know how to express themselves. But when they're, they're very little, ask them this. What are you thinking about? What are you going to do when you're like daddy's age? There's some question you can ask them to welcome that approach that in their mind, I'm, I'm learning that I'm getting cranky, and I'm getting old, and I'm tired. But for some reason, I still have a chance because there's enough times that my children tell me, I don't want to talk to you right now, Dad, because you're not ready for it, because you're going to get mad. I'm, I'm earning enough that I, I hear that, at least. And I have to make something about that. I can't just push it off. Pastor Seth can't do that for me. Sam... Brother Mike, you guys can't do that for me. I have to do that. Brother Keith, Brother Kelly, you can't do that for me. I have to do that because that's, those are my children. And my responsibility is that I need to be able that always they have a place where they can bring their thoughts and their hearts to me. I have to be very welcoming. And then after that, I'm not saying tolerate their, their, their wrong thinking. That's not, don't get lost now. And say, well, no. Get, an ad, get, a, get a place where they're able to talk to you. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean though, they're going to say some good stuff. And maybe their thinking is wrong. But at least if they talk to you, guess what you're going to have that most parents don't have? You have an idea now what they're thinking rather than if you don't. And if you have that, then pray to the Lord Pray to the Lord for wisdom. And if they have wrong thinking, you better know the scripture as your authority and find truths from the scripture to address your children. Son, daughter, we don't do this. As you asked, why do we do this? Well, this is because of this in scripture. Look at what the Bible says and explain to them as much as they can at their age level 
And guess what? You have them for a long time in, in some ways. We don't, I mean, we, we can't tell. I mean, uh, no, well, nobody can boast of tomorrow. I don't know how long I'm going to have my children. But, but, but typically, I'm going to have them for at least 18 years or more. Correct? And so I don't have to theologically explain to them right then at two years old what sin is. But I can express to, to Mariah that this is sin in her understanding, and as she grows, I expound on the sin. It's still the same truth. I'm just expounding on it more. And they turn into uh, Abigail's age, then it's a little bit more than Moriah. Okay? And at the time that they're teenagers, you need to have not just we do it this way, but you need to have why we do it this way. You better have the whys. Well, say, well, no, you just need to listen to me and shut up. Well, that's a lazy parenting. I can do that to you as a pastor, too. You want me to do that to you? Just shut up and do what I say. Well, why, pastor? It doesn't matter. I'm saying it. No. I hope that's not the case. You want to teach them to have a real and personal relationship with God and to apply his truth across all areas of life. Here's another thing that's hard. We think we're going to parent our children all of their lives. You're not. You're not going to parent your children all their lives. You will always be their parent. I understand that. But your influence and the amount of input you give to them will change as they grow. My mom and dad are still my parents. But guess what? I'm, oh, I'm going to be 39. Almost all of their influence in my life, it's advisory. That's all it is. And they look at me equally as an adult and they say, if, if we were you, Chris, we would do it this way. But it's up to you. That's it. My influence in my little boy's life is more than that. Take a shower now. You stink. You understand? It changes. The amount of your influence changes. And the administration of that, the way you administer your authority changes. And so think about that as you're raising your children. When are you going to talk to them about being a parent? Not when they're parents. Not when they're parents. Not when they're parents, guys. You're doing it right now as they're little kids. Because they're watching how you parent them. And you're teaching them on parenthood right at this very moment. You know that? When you're going to teach them these other things. No, it's, it's happening. A lot of it is happening right now in your life. And so uh, think about that. So point number one here on our lesson. Point number one in our lesson, teach with passion. Teach with passion. Get a little excited about what you're talking about. Let them know you really believe this. All right? You don't have to be loud if you're a quiet person. But they're going to know the difference when you're interested or when you're not, right? They know, your, they know their parents. They're going to know when you're interested in a subject or not. 
when this matters to you, right? They're going to know. <clears throat> Perhaps this is one reason why God's instruction to his people to teach their children his way begins with an admonition to first love him personally and passionately. You see that? The very first verse before teaching anybody is 5 and 6. And let me read, just read you 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee these days shall be in thine heart. You see the passion that this is coming from in teaching and, 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 and influencing your children comes from your heart. It cannot be any other way. That's the way God instructed it. That's the way God says it. That you are only teaching them what you feel is important in your very core. And so it matters what's in your core. And God says, all right, before you teach anything, make sure you love me because I need to be in your core so that when you speak out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, when you speak out of your heart, I come out. I come out. Put me in your heart so that when you speak, I come out. And that's what God wanted. We need to believe what we are teaching. We need to believe what we are teaching. And be honest. Be honest. There's some things of Scripture you don't totally understand. And if you happen to come across those, be honest. I don't know exactly how I believe about this. This is some of the start that I have because of other scriptures I'm comparing this with. This is where I am right now. They'll appreciate that. Then you saying some things about something you don't really know about. And later, you're going to regret. Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 7. We already read it. Let's move on. Letter A. Letter A in your notes. A personal love for the Lord. So teach with passion. Letter A. A personal love for the Lord. A personal love for the Lord. And we'll, we'll end with this this morning. Your children know what you get passionate about. They really do. They see your level of enthusiasm about the projects or hobbies in which you are invested. They know when a sports game rearranges your schedule or a change, or a change to get together with a friend lights your excitement. They also, when church attendance is easily canceled for other pursuits, or when the things of God becomes a burden to you. Now, let me make something very clear to you. God says in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Now, they met every day. That was the choice of the leadership. Guess the leadership in this church. We decide to meet Sundays and Wednesdays. There's no argument should be in your place in that. That is what we decided. And I'm not trying to tell you that if you don't come to those days, that you're not right with God. But we are telling you that we are God institution as a church. And as a church, as a pastor, I have to honor God and God's wishes. And God's wishes is that we should meet. And I understand that in meeting, 
I have some preferences as the pastor, just like you as a father at your home, what food you guys are going to eat, what shows you're going to watch, and when you're going to watch them, and what you're going to do at your home. In this church, I have been given that responsibility to have preferences. Now, I do, with great measure, ask very, very, very wise men that I believe that I can confide in, and I do. So when I decide that this is our church service, and I decide that we have special services, just as like we have family conferences, and October will be our missions conferences, I've been given that privilege. There's no argument with that. I am not out of bounds. I am not unscriptural. But when it comes to having a set day of coming to church or not, I understand that is humanly decided. God did not say that we should meet on Sunday or did not say that we should meet on Wednesday. But it's given to the authority when we're going to meet. And as an independent Baptist, we have affiliation with that group. And I'm not saying independent Baptists are always right in everything. But we are an independent, fundamental Baptist church. And so we adhere to some of our independent, fundamental traditions. And there's some verses in Scripture where Paul says, be careful if you take away some of the traditions that we have taught you. And there are some things of Scripture that teaches that the clergy, the authority, has some freedom in what they do. How are you going to do it when you have children in your home? Your child doesn't like broccoli. Who gets the way? You, the dad that loves broccoli? How's that going to work? Where's the biblical? Who's the biblical authority? The child or you? You. And so I take that very, very seriously here. I listen to you just like I would listen to my child. If it's something in my power I can do, I'll try to make you happy. But at the very end of it, I am going to be the authority. Do we understand that, right? So the same thing goes here. In our lives... In the church, in, as, as, we, as, we, as we endeavor, as we endeavor to teach our children the importance of church, can I say that there should be an importance to church? Can I just say that? I understand sometimes, uh, and, 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 and maybe uh, ignorantly, we make God and church the same. It's not true. All right? That's not true. God and church are not the same. God is solely God. And this is his bride. Okay? Just like there's some things, obviously, if you hurt my wife and we're married, I'm going to say something about that. And so in that, yes, if you hurt the church of God, God's going to have to say something about that. But there are some things that we deal with God directly. And I told you guys about that. As a pastor, my purview, my authority is the church only. But when you go home and parent your children the way you parent them at home, I don't answer to God for that. I don't answer to God for what shows you guys watch at home. I don't answer to God for how you dress at home, what activities you participate in at home. That's your problem. But if it comes to the church house, if it comes to this local church, that you have elected and appointed me as your pastor and you voted me in, I take it gladly, I'm the pastor. And when I'm here, guess what? The way you do it at home ain't going to be doing it here. It has to go through me. Do you understand? All right. So when I say this statement, I'm going to be done. 
because my time has expired. They also see when church attendance is easily cancelled from our pursuits or when the things of God become a burden to you. I understand sometimes you're going to miss church for good reasons. But it's very rare that you should miss the church house because you are implementing to your children whether it's important or not. We need to be done. Lord, bless us. We ask, help us to really find in our heart what's important. And Lord, it may be you that we really is important in our hearts. And help us to balance, Lord, our life and help us to put importance on things that are important to you. Lord, bless us as we're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen. you got 10 minutes.